Hello, welcome to FiresideFileMaker.com, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. Hello, I'm Michael Richard, and welcome to Fireside FileMaker. And my name is John Mark Osborne, and I asked Michael to come up with the title for this podcast. I had it as Influential Features, which is fairly accurate, but not as fun as what Michael came up with, which is these are a few of my favorite things. I like how he uses things from uh, popular cultures to, to make names for these podcasts that are kind of cool and interesting. So what we're going to do here... Well, thank you, John. You're welcome, of course. I mean, I, I respect a lot of the stuff that you do. I want to use the Mary Poppins theme song to introduce this too, so... Oh, <laughs> there you go. Now, if you would sing it, if you heard me singing, you wouldn't want to hear me singing. No, that's why I want to hear you sing. <laughs> no. <laughs> so we'll mark that as one of the things you don't do very well. Um, luckily, uh, FileMaker is one of the things you do very well. So that, well, and we're talking about that today. So, <laughs> so we'll 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 be in. Uh, we won't have any singing. Maybe maybe I'll uh, have put some of my singing at the end. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, let's let's not. <laughs> yeah, let's not. So let's try to get going on to where we're going here. Uh, we like to have a little bit of fun, but uh, you guys are listening to to get some information from us. So, so I was saying about the title. These are features over the years that we think changed how people program FileMaker. So there are a lot of features of FileMaker that were influential over the years. We're going to try to pick our favorites. That doesn't mean they're your favorites but we're going to explain why. And if you have any feedback, you know, we're always welcome to hear about a feature and put it in the comments. And, and so we can know, you know, what you guys are thinking. Uh, but we're going to go way back to FileMaker 2.0 to see what features changed, how we developed in FileMaker. Along the way, we're going to talk about all kinds of things about these features, but the main focus, I guess, here is to kind of let you guys, uh, you know, maybe you came in at FileMaker 7. You don't know about the history things, and I think it's really interesting if you know the history, you know, what came out in which versions and how it changed things and how you're doing things before. I think it really helps you in modern-day FileMaker to really, uh, you know, understand and program better. So I'm going to start off by asking Michael, what version of FileMaker um, do you, did you start programming with? Well, it was 1987, and uh, because I'm very old, my memory isn't as good as it used to be, but it was either plus or two, and I think it was FileMaker 2. Roman numeral 2, right? Roman numeral 2, correct. Yeah, I think plus, if I remember correctly, was Neshoba, and then it turned into Roman numeral 2 when FileMaker bought it. I'm not positive, and we're going to go over these things. You know, it's hard to find out the stuff because some of it's 25 years old, so sometimes it's hard to be accurate, but I'm pretty sure I've gone over this list a couple times, and, uh, you know, it should be accurate where what we're quoting where things came in and how they changed stuff. But, yeah, I, I started off with uh, FileMaker Roman numeral 2 uh, back when I worked at Claris Technical Support, Claris 1.0, that is, you know, not Claris 2.0. I was supporting really, I mean, FileMaker Pro 2.0 was already out at that time, so it was a little bit later than Michael, but I had to support FileMaker 2 because, you know, Claris asked me to. So I was doing all that stuff back then and checking boxes to do scripts instead of, you know, writing scripts out. It was it was an interesting time. Anything you remember in particular back then, Michael, that, that, uh, that strikes your mind right now? Well, the only thing I remember, John, is that a friend of mine, 
introduced me to FileMaker, whatever it was, and I went, oh my God, I've just fallen in love. And it was, it was just, it, it just worked for the way my brain worked. Uh, it was just that right. instant connection. And I was hooked on it within 10 minutes of starting to play with it. And I, even after 33 years, which is a, a long time, I'm still fascinated by it. I still love working with it. And I still learn something new every single day. Yeah, absolutely. It just makes sense, right, to to us people who are not necessarily programmers. And so what's happened over the years, I think, is that FileMaker has grown up to be more mainstream in some ways, you know, as far as uh, how the script workspace works. You know, it's definitely more typing than clicking now. And so it's interesting to see how it developed over the years and how it changed. It's still that product that you and I fell in love with back a long time ago, but it's also broadened its appeal um, and tried to keep that that simplicity. And, and, and they've done a pretty good job. I mean, what else can they do? They can't be perfect. They can't make it appeal perfectly to everybody, to subject matter experts and, you know, uh, uh, lifelong coders. It's, it's, they've got to be somewhere in between to, to satisfy both. And they've really done a great job. Oh, I think they've done an extraordinary job. And, you know, you can't, you can't please all of the people all of the time. And there's always going to be people that, you know, have issues with the way they've done things and, and we all have issues with the way they've done things there are some things that we wish they'd do differently but you know we only have the small picture in terms of the development and what they have to do and some of the things that we think are obvious and easy they think perhaps aren't that obvious or aren't that easy or aren't that important in the big scheme of things so we we have to you know, accept the fact that they're looking at the big picture and, and we're not. And, um, but that's okay. I mean, we, it's become better and better and it keeps getting better. And, um, I think it's going to keep getting better for as long as I'm going to be doing it. And, uh, hopefully as long as you're going to be doing it and as long as everybody else who's working in it now will be doing it. It's a marvelous program. So what we're going to do is start off with FileMaker Pro 2.1 because I think that's where the the influence of Claris came in to make it a world-class application. Neshoba did an unbelievable job getting it to where it was at that point, but there was things that had to be done to make it world-class. And in FileMaker Pro 2.0, they released a Mac and a Windows version. Now, but only in version 2.1, did they make it binary cross-platform compatible, meaning that a file created on the Mac can be just simply copied over to Windows and it'll work, and a file created on Windows can be simply copied over to the Mac. It happened that long ago, and in a version that a lot of people really don't realize is there, the 2.1. They, they go, oh, 2.0, but there was a 2.1. And that's when it became that cross-platform compatible, binary cross-platform compatible. And really, in my opinion, changed the entire FileMaker market. Well, I didn't know that. Um, so I like every time we do one of these podcasts, I always learn something new. But 
it is very interesting and it's extraordinary to my mind that they were able to do that and that you can even now you can open a file on both windows and mac side by side and the screens are almost identical i mean the way that the windows system handles fonts is differently so you get larger fonts and it isn't quite as crisp and as clear as on a mac but at a quick glance they look absolutely identical yeah there's a few issues with color mapping too sometimes you get a color you know, you fill a rectangle or something on the Mac and it looks a little bit different on Windows. Most of the time it's the same, but you do need to check these interfaces cross-platform before you go too far into it. Make sure your font's going to look good. Uh, make sure that both your Mac and Windows people have the same font, so at least they look similar. But you're going to have to make your fields a little bit bigger for Windows if you're programming Mac so that you don't get your descenders cut off and things like that. And, and check your colors. Now, if you're sticking with the theme, you're probably just fine. But if you want them to look identical, those are pretty much the two major areas you have to look at. And other than that, it just works, which is unbelievable. Uh, you know, the programming that went in there and how they did that, I, I just can't even imagine. Like you said, I can't imagine how they did it. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. So I think that was the first thing that really changed. That's when I came into the game. And so I was didn't realize that that, you know, I was working at Claris to start there and didn't realize how important that was. But I think on the next revision, FileMaker Pro 3.0, looking back on it, and also being there at the time when it was released was I, I was flabbergasted at the time it was released because it was so different. And I don't think a lot of people realize that people sometimes say, oh, FileMaker Pro 7 was so different. But FileMaker Pro 3.0 was so different from FileMaker 2.1. We're going to go over them. But also looking back at that version. I'm going, wow, that was a, such an influential version. And I don't think a lot of people really realize that how important FileMaker Pro 3.0 was to the whole history and how what direction FileMaker took after that. Yeah, it was incredible. So let's talk about a few things. I don't know, I don't know whether you, you knew this, John, but I worked very closely with Claris in the UK developing a, an example solution to highlight and show the features, which they actually gave to all of the dealers in the UK. I did not know that. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's a long time, long time ago. I wish I'd still kept the brochure. I didn't well, keep that's got to be at least 20 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's more than that. I think it's closer to 30. Yeah, well, I yeah, I think uh, we'd have to look up the dates on that. I think uh, FileMaker Pro 2.1 came out in 93, and I'm not sure when 3.0 came out. But yeah, it's probably around 25 years, I think, at least. But, you know, give or take five years is really not a big difference, right? No, not when you've been doing it this long. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, how uh, Claris and FileMaker and then Claris again have gone out into the community and and ask for their help in designing stuff like that. Definitely. So let's take a look at the specific features here. Not all of them, because there's so many. I mean, I, the difference between FileMaker 2.1 and 3.0, they're almost not the same product. And the big one, the first big one, is the relational architecture. So FileMaker grew from a flat file database in FileMaker 2.0 and 2.1 and every version before, before that 
into a relational product. It wasn't. It's not like it is today because 7.0 made us you able to do relationships in a single file. You still had multiple files, one table per file, but you could relate them together, and you didn't have a fancy graphical dialogue. Uh, you know, like you do in managed database to relate them by dragging. What you had was a little, a little, uh, you know, thing in there, a, a little dialogue that just simply said, okay, what's the file you want to relate to? And what's the key fields? And it just had a list of them there. And it was a one-way relationship. So if you wanted a relationship to be two ways, you had to go and make the same relationship in the other file. So it was, it wasn't what it is today, but man, it, it made such a difference in FileMaker development that it took FileMaker in a completely different direction. Yeah, so before we go on, let's just talk briefly about the difference between a flat file database and a relational database because I'm sure that we've got some of our listeners who have never been exposed to a, a flat file. And in simple terms, you had to copy information from one table to another. So if you had the customer... Um, on an invoice, you would copy the customer address and everything and the name and address and phone number into the invoice. So you were effectively duplicating data and you had to do it that way. Whereas in a relational database, all you're doing is referencing the data and you're looking at the data that's sitting in the customer table. And where that is really important is that if you need to edit the customer address, you can edit it in any place where it shows and it is automatically and instantly reflected back in the source table. Yeah, one of the big relational no-nos, right? To duplicate data, you try, that's the whole idea behind relational design. Absolutely. Makes your files smaller, makes them faster, all kinds of great things happen when you have a relational database system. In some of the things that you may be looking at in modern FileMaker and not understanding why it's there or what it's for, Let's take an example of splitting repeating fields on import. Right. Crazy little feature, right? Why is it there? Well, it was originally introduced, I forget when, but certainly used quite a bit in 3.0 because you wanted to convert your flat file database that used repeating fields into a two table, you know, could have been three or four table, but three, two file system where you had a portal instead of repeating fields. And how did you get that data from your flat uh, file into the other file? Well, you imported it in there and said split the repeating fields. So if you didn't know where that feature came from and why it's there and why that checkbox is there, and I think it's still there to this day, it's simply because of that, because people were using repeating fields to mimic a relational database system. And then when 3.0 came out, of course, you wanted to convert it, and that was a great help right there. Well, not only is it still there, John, but it's still used because I often get solutions that somebody's developed using repeating fields either because they didn't know any better or they just haven't got around to doing it any other way. And to normalize that data and make it properly structured, you have to separate those fields into a separate table. And it's really simple because all you do is you copy the fields that are in the portal and the primary key into the new table and connect them using the primary key and bingo it's all done yeah it's it's super easy right incredibly easy and incredibly fast and no data entry and you can also purge any empty rows because there are always empty rows in repeating fields and all of that stuff so yeah it's wonderful tool yep i i, I love it i haven't i haven't used it uh, lately 
But I occasionally, yeah, every once in a while, somebody comes up with a really, really old database. I mean, I still see the multi-file uh, solutions out there, not because they wanted two files, but because they had no choice. And then they just converted as they went along through the years and they never updated. I'm like, wow, <laughs> look at this thing. You know, he's got like yeah, 62 wow. files or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's probably the one that people, if you know anything about 3.0, know that it introduced relationships. But here's some other things that it introduced that were earth-shattering, at least changed the direction of FileMaker. Because before FileMaker Pro 3.0, they only supported, I believe, Apple Talk uh, and some other kind of networking uh, format. Now in FileMaker 3.0, they introduced TCP IP and everyone takes it for granted now. But in 3.0, they introduced that. And I, I thought, well, what's this for? When I came out, I'm like, uh, I mean, I just accepted it, but I now looking back, I go, wow, that allows people to have, you know, these cloud features. And they started way back in 3.0. I mean, I believe that Claris is, and FileMaker Incorporated have really done a great job of keeping on top of the trends and what's necessary. And they're really been knowledgeable about the, you know, the technology world. And you can see that they were right on top of then seeing how big the internet and remote connections were going to be. So they went ahead and supported TCP IP and, and we're all benefiting, uh, you know, decades later because they decided to do that early. So, okay. Tell me what uh, TCP IP stands for, John, because I don't know. I don't know what it actually stands for, but it's the protocol that 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 uh, governs. Uh, Damn, I thought you'd know. I, well, we could probably look it up, right? I mean, uh, I don't. Oh, we could, we could, but it isn't important. It's just a threw it in just out of interest. Yeah, just trying to trip me up, huh? <laughs> no, no, I never try and trick you up. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, I was trying to catch you and see if, uh, but anyhow. Uh, so, so that there's not much discussion about it. It's just it's there. It's there early on. It 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 really changed the way uh, FileMaker. Maybe not FileMaker developers how they developed back in 3.0. They don't really think about it, but it's really influenced how we've developed. Uh, in, you know, in the current, uh, you know, la at least the last decade for sure. So the next feature in 3.0, because 3.0 was so big, you're not going to see us talk about as many features in the other versions, you know, 7.0 certainly and, and things like that. But 3.0, just a tremendous upgrade. So one of the things it did was introduce the modern and I'm going to call it script maker because I'm old school. It's called the script workspace now, but it's different. It, it introduced a somewhere between what they had before, which is in 2.0, they had checkboxes, a dialogue that said, hey, do you want to you know, restore the print setup? Uh, and they called it page setup back then, I think. And do you want to um, do a, you know restore the find? Do you want to restore the sort? Do you want to go to a particular layout? Those kinds of things are in there, but you had to check them. There was no order of operations. They just went in the order. It was, for, it was basically scripting at that point before 3.0 was really just for automating uh, the creation of reports, or not the creation, the display of reports. And when 3.0 came out, they made that modern, I mean, it's it's not much different in the script workspace, and, and we'll go over that later in, in you know, in, uh, in the current version, 19, but they went over 
they they basically made that that workspace which was called script maker back then with you know script steps down the left and you had to double click on them so you had to know where they are but it, it the number of script steps and the ability for you to change the order and tell it what order you could automate just about everything i mean it was ridiculous how much of a change it was i was like i, I boggled my mind uh, it's still today and even then i was like wow i got to learn all this stuff look at all these script steps that are there it was just crazy I, do you remember that that point when you when you saw 3.0 and saw the new script maker michael it was monumental and it was oh my god and what have they done to me? Why me? Why do they have to do this? <laughs> but but it, it really was the precursor of where it is today. And over the years, it just got better and more powerful. And uh, honestly, I don't think there's a program anywhere around that is as easy to program as FileMaker is. And you can build some very complex routines with just a little bit of typing and double clicking. And uh, it's incredible that they've managed to do this. Yeah. If you listen to our podcast on, on WIP workplace innovation platform, you'll note that there are tons of companies out there now trying to copy what FileMaker has been doing for 30 years. They're trying to get in there realizing that people want to program, but they don't want to be, you know, have to have a degree in, in C++ or something to understand what's going on. They want to, they want to be the subject matter expert and they say, Hey, I know how this thing works, but I want to have something simple to program. So the, the market is in the last few years has been flooded with FileMaker lookalikes. And uh, I, th I think it's, it's just justifying what they've been doing for 30 years now. And it should also be mentioned that there's a lot of them have come and gone very quickly because they just can't get a foothold in, in the market. FileMaker is the number one. It's been number one in this area for a very long time, and it keeps getting better and more powerful. And every once in a while, I run into somebody whose IT guy tells them that FileMaker's a toy and, you know, shouldn't they shouldn't be looking at it. And I go, well, yeah, but they haven't looked at it for 20 years. They're thinking back when it was a flat file database, and they have no idea what they're talking about today. So if you're listening and you hear that from one of your clients do question it do stand your ground do say yeah but the person who says that doesn't know what the, what the hell they're talking about um but yeah so you know the modern uh script maker um now called the script workspace it just if you it's hard to describe because we really can't run filemaker 3.0 on a on a modern operating system and i don't have an old enough one to do it and so i can't really show you these but if you search on the on the you know, do a Google search and search for FileMaker, ScriptMaker 3.0, something like that, you're bound to come across an image of what it used to look like if you're not familiar with it. But it's very similar to what you have today. It's just you didn't have that ability to type in. You had to double click. And, and we'll talk about more about that later. But it's uh, it introduced one of my favorite and I think most people's favorite script steps. And there's a lot of script steps it introduced that were brand new. But I think this particular one stands out above the rest because it's still a powerhouse, still the most important one to know, in my opinion, and, you know, and one that people don't understand because they try to use cut, copy, and paste. And we have to tell them, no, use set field. Set field is cut, copy, and paste on steroids and has so many less limitations, but that's the version it was introduced. And I didn't really get it then. 
like, well, why would you want to use set field? Well, let, let me tell you how you how to get it today. What it does is allows you to target a field with a calculation. Now, that calculation can be really simple, simply a reference to another field if you want. It doesn't have to be complicated. So you take something that's calculated and put it into a field. So you could copy a, a value from one field and paste it into another one, but you're destroying the clipboard. And you don't want to destroy the clipboard because the user might have something in that clipboard that they want. So you don't really want to use copy and paste when you're programming. So set field is a boon right there. Not only that, that field that you're targeting and the field that you're grabbing data from, whether you know there might be multiple fields or calculated, none of them have to be on the current layout. So it has another advantage over cut, copy, and paste, and anything that says insert on it doesn't require those. All those script steps I just mentioned, cut, copy, paste, insert, all require those fields to be on the layout in order to work with them. Right. Absolutely. It's a it's an incredible uh, useful script step. It's and you and I and almost everybody who works with FileMaker uses it all the time. But I don't know how many of them realize realize the sort of implications of it. And especially when it came out, which is all those years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many ways, the simple ways that you use it. Almost every scripts that I program will have at least one set field in it. It might be uh, to move data around. It might need to put together some fine criteria in fine mode. I mean, it, the uses are endless. I mean, I can even push data across a relationship so I can script that rather than you know, trying to actually visit that other uh, that other layout. You know, sometimes people will say, hey, I want to go ahead and make a, a related record. Well, you can certainly do that by going to that layout, creating a record and, and putting the ID in there, and you'd use set field and set variable and things like that. But you can also just simply stay where you're at and push across that relationship and make a related record. So people often don't know all the cool things you can do with set field and you know what it what it means to the development uh, platform. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's talk about global fields. Wow, they came about in FileMaker Pro 3.0. What a game changer! I mean, global fields really developed into variables. The, you know, they're the kind of the modern day or they're the old school variable, but they still have value even today. But back then. You didn't have variables, so yeah, it was global field. So you did everything with it. It was it was your you know your spot in memory where you could put something. Uh, so if people aren't familiar with global fields, why don't you tell them a little bit about how they how they work, Michael? Sure. Well, a global field you have one value, and that value is across every single record. So if you type, let's say you've got a global field called G number, and you type one in it, every single record in your in that table has a one in it. So it can be a little bit confusing if you look at it and see, well, why is it all the same? But uh, generally speaking, global fields aren't used in that way. They're not shown in the list view, so it doesn't come up. But they are really useful. Um, they don't cause record locking, although there are circumstances where they can. And this is where you were using a global field to um, set a variable for a related record. In other words, so you, you would set the global field with the primary key of the table you want to look at, and you've now opened a connection to that record. Now, if that record is now open, in other words, you're working on it, you are going to get record locking. And so it can cause record locking, but generally it doesn't. And 
you can use global fields on the parent side of any relationship because they don't need to be indexed as a parent. You can't use a global field on the child side because it's not indexable. So you can only use it on the parent side. And the cool thing is, is that no matter where they are inside the file, you don't need a relationship to access them, just like a variable value. That is correct. So there's some cool things. That is absolutely correct. So so you can have, for example, you could have a file with a logo and a table with your logo, and that logo is stored in a global field. You can now put that field on any layout, any table occurrence, anywhere, and it will show because it's a global field and you don't need the relationship. So it's very powerful. Yeah, so they're they're great for, for interface. I use them all the time, time to uh, filter portals, uh, to provide some input that I don't need to store. I just need to get, and then maybe I'll use that input to create a record or create some fine criteria, who knows what. But anytime you don't want to store any data, and but you need the user to interact with it, a global field is great. Uh, you know, it, variables can't do some of the things that global fields can. I always use a variable if I can, but if I if I need to use a global, it's still there and still great uh, for uh, you know interface design. And I think you need to to people need to realize that uh, some of the multi-user concerns, when one of them is record locking in general, they don't cause record locking. You can use you know the globals are are local to each user on the network, so user one and user two can be modifying that global field and it won't make any kind of record locking issues. So you can provide an interface for both of them and, and not worry about that record locking, which is great. And, but you need to know that, that that's the benefit in a multi-user scenario, right? That, that they have different values on their global fields. But that also means that when you open up the solution, for the first time that day, or maybe closed it and opened it up a second time. Each time you open it up, your global values are gone. They're they're in memory, right. so they go to the default of whatever that user, I'm sorry, that developer set when it was still single user. So I often make open scripts that will go ahead and initialize those global fields to what they want them to be at the beginning, if needed. You know, sometimes you don't need to, but a lot of times you need that that uh, initialization. So it's important to understand all the ins and outs about global fields because they, they work uh, uh, quite a bit differently than variables. Yeah. I mean, as you know, with Nautilus FM, where we've got a single screen, everything is done by storing a primary key in a global field, which creates a relationship to the record you want to see. And so because in most cases, people want to look at a single record. They don't want to look at a list. They want to look at one record in, in detail and do something with it. So by setting a, the key you, into a global field, you can bring up that record on screen, do whatever you want with it, and then select another record and keep on going. So I love global fields. Yeah, and you're just using the global fields as key fields, not for all the data that displays. Basically, what I'm doing is I've got a portal. Let's say I'm in companies and I've got a portal of all the companies, which is a filtered portal that they can very quickly type and find or select an index letter. And then when they see the one they want from all the records in that table, they just click on it and that sets the global field with that value and immediately displays all of the information because at that point you've created the relationship. So you've it's basically a dynamic relationship that is changing all the time. 
and it's very powerful technique. So there are a ton of features in FileMaker Pro 3.0 that we haven't touched, haven't talked about, but we could have literally have an entire podcast on it. But I think these are, are four of the top ones, the relational architecture, introduction of TCP IP, uh, the new modern script maker and set field are all probably on everybody's list. Now, if you, if we didn't, I know I forgot global fields, of course, so there's, there's more <laughs> almost forgot. Sorry, global fields, but you know, I'm sure there's something out there that people say, Hey, this changed my programming life. Throw it in the comments so we can see, but we're going to move on to FileMaker yeah. Pro 4.0 follow-up to 3.0. It's like kind of like getting an A and you know, there, there's no way you can live up to the previous version. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. In fact, I think 3.0 took two or three years after FileMaker Pro 2.1. I, I don't, I'd have to look it up, but it was a long time considering how they do updates now, which were yearly, and now they're going to be quarterly. So it's, it's a, it took a long time to program. I don't think that FileMaker Pro 4.0 took that long. They had to set up a basic structure for the next decade or so, and that was 3.0. So it was a big change and took a long time to program. 4.0 doesn't have as many gigantic features, um, but one of them that I saw that I really liked, and I think that people will, will agree um, and, and whether you like plugins or not, they were introduced in 4.0 and they really changed and they've changed over the years. They weren't, they're not the same as they were back then. And back then they were simply uh, allowed as a calculation, you know, modern plugins can have script steps and things like that. It's crazy. But uh, back then it was just simply calculations, but you could still do a lot of things. It was pretty cool. Right. So let's talk about some. I know that uh, Michael's not. Uh, <laughs> Michael doesn't is he's not a, a big plugin guy, and I'm not a big big plugin guy, unless there's no other way to do it in FileMaker. So I'm going to highlight some of my favorites, uh, such as email to send HTML email. I've used that quite a few times, and it really is very helpful. There's quite a few products out there. I think at least four or five right now that allow you to send HTML email uh, from FileMaker. It goes through SMTP, not through your email client, but it's pretty cool stuff. And that's available through a plugin. There's also the Troy file plugin. I've used that quite a bit. In fact, one uh, solution that I developed over about a 15 year period, um, used it extensively. Uh, you know, Claris, of course, uh, pretty much, you know, copied the features that are in there, or at least some of them in FileMaker 18, I think it came out, all those file-related uh, features. But those were, you know, introduced by Troy, being able to manipulate the operating system. And, you know, really a, an amazing uh, plugin and one that I use a lot. And then credit card processing, I use that all the time. You can't do that right in FileMaker. You need something, so I use plugin. My favorite plugin is Monkey Bread Software. And their plugin is quite incredible. And there's a you can get a free version or a light version. And I use it to be able to quickly type in the name of a table occurrence that I'm looking for in the relationship graph and be able to just hit the enter key and go straight to it. I love the fact that I can set the the size of the text in the calculation fields by default to be larger because my eyesight is not as good as it used to be 20 years ago and small small print is very hard for me to read so i've got the print calculation windows larger and also the same thing with the script maker uh, i've set it to be considerably larger so it makes it easier for me to read 
And you can search the script maker too, right? Yep. Not just the scripts, but the actual script, right? Exactly. It's a fantastic piece of software. And uh, if you haven't, um, if you haven't heard of it, go and check out Monkey Bread software. Their plugin is MBS plugin is incredible. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh, plugins I think that just is a potpourri of of different things that it can do, right? It's just like a a Swiss Army knife, right? Oh, it's got thousands of thousands of different functions. I can't imagine Christian what Christian Smith does when he's not working because the stuff he comes up with is like how did you think of that yeah some of the stuff you won't use of course it's like the toothpick on the on the swiss army knife i don't use that but you, certainly the knife some other features and there'll be more useful and and i think that's a uh, one of those great plugins and it, anybody else out there who's using a plugin that's indispensable i mean you can't do the same thing in filemaker with just filemaker alone you know let us know in the comments um you know we're just we're just covering the stuff that, that we use all the time. I mean, I've used other plugins, but for me, they're not indispensable. But those ones, you know, the monkey bread is indispensable for you. For me, credit card processing, the Troy file plugin, although I haven't used it in a couple of years. But when it I, when I need to do some of that stuff, I'm, you know, search a hard drive for a file. I'm going to go to Troy because it worked flawlessly. And then email plugins for HTML email. Those are great. So that was introduced in FileMaker Pro 4.0 revolutionary and it's and it's been and they've added on to it and modified how plugins work over the years so the current version filemaker 19 is even more powerful than it was back then okay probably most of you don't know about filemaker pro 4.1 you know filemaker uh, it wasn't like 2.1 in my opinion because 2.1 you know the difference between 2.0 and 2.1 it was this binary cross that was earth shattering um, what FileMaker Pro 4.1 added was ODBC. You could import from Oracle 7, Microsoft SQL Server, Microsoft Access 97, Microsoft Excel, uh, and you know, and pull that data in. It was mostly back then for reporting. You know, you wanted to get that data from that SQL server, that SQL source, into FileMaker. Because FileMaker's reporting was so easy and, and 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 wonderful to work with, and you could script it so you could you know change how the the data was put together so it was more uh, you know acceptable for uh, you know doing any kind of uh, you know ad hoc reporting. Uh, but I, I think they kind of found out at that point. I'm just guessing. I don't know for sure. But at that point, they said, well, we need we need ODBC support. We don't want to wait till 5.0. Let's release it now. I think people are clamoring for it, some big clients. We need to put it out. So it's kind of one of those lackluster releases that uh, if you didn't need OB ODBC, well, then it really didn't uh, it didn't do much for you. So we'll just move on. I don't think Michael's got much to say about that. <laughs> so we'll no, really, because I really, I really use it. But um, it was the fact that it was possible was, in a way, it was ground shattering because, you know, a lot of the people who dismiss FileMaker would dismiss it because they'd say it wasn't ODBC compliant, and all of a sudden it was. So it shocked chop the legs out from underneath them it was the beginning of filemaker and acronyms right odbc php xml you know all those things that go on and on and on the first one was odbc as far as i can tell so um, don't forget wtf john yeah yeah right <laughs> right okay i get the point we'll move on okay <laughs> so let's move on to 5.0 and this to me 
is an incredible release because it marked the era of web enabling for FileMaker. Two things were introduced, instant web publishing and CDML. Now, everybody knows what instant web publishing is because we all use it today. It's available in FileMaker 19 and has certainly been improved and completely rewritten from the ground up, as far as I know from talking to, to uh, the engineers, uh, you know, at least uh, once, if not a couple of times. And it's really cool. If you don't know what instant web publishing is, it basically renders your FileMaker layouts in HTML and CSS, does, it all, does all this for you. So you just create a, a regular FileMaker layout and it'll render it to display in a web browser. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, do you use instant web publishing, Michael? Well, I use WebDirect, um, and I've got a couple of solutions where WebDirect is very powerful and very useful. But I never got into the instant web publishing, which was the, the precursor of where it is today. And I certainly didn't get into CDML or learning PHP. Um, neither of them were within my sphere of interest, if you like. You know, I've always been, as you know, a, you know, a, a real FileMaker, use FileMaker and use FileMaker for everything if you can. So this sort of, that sort of stuff that you're talking about wasn't really on my radar, so to speak. But I appreciate the fact it was there, and I certainly like WebDirect, although it's still not perfect, but it's pretty amazing. But we'll come on to that later. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely not perfect. So, but, uh, uh, you know, if, if you know what the rules are of the web direct, just like you did when it was called instant web publishing, you know, the, like you said, the precursor, if you know the rules of what will work and won't work, then you can do something. It's definitely a subset of what FileMaker can do. And so, you know, just to emphasize what Michael's saying is the reason he wants to use FileMaker is because that's where the most functionality is the desktop version you know, going to the web, you're definitely downgrading what you can do. And that's why some people don't like WebDirect these days because you can't do as much. But if it does fit within those abilities of WebDirect, then then certainly you should be using it and, uh, you know, just be knowledgeable about it. But you also need to know the limitations of what you can do with the server. You can't have as many users on a WebDirect enabled solution as you can with FileMaker clients. Essentially what happens is, and this is very basic, is that the server does all the rendering of those layouts. It does everything, it, it, it has to, it has to take, it doesn't have it all stored and then just sends it out, it has to render it on the fly and send it out to the web browser. And so that takes time and, and power on that FileMaker server. So. Uh, versus other technologies, which are going to be client side. This one is, is not, it's going to be server side. So you've got to watch out about it. You, you, it's usually for small, you know, deployments on the web. Usually when you want to go further, you're going to go into custom web publishing, which these days would be using the FileMaker API and, you know, PHP or, or XML or, or JSR, whatever you want to use to go ahead and do it. it it's, it's the API pretty much supports everything for you. So let's talk a little bit about CDML because that's where I started. I never used instant web publishing. I use CDML and the first version, well, I should say the second version of the databasepros.com website 
the first version was just hard coded HTML and I would put files up there and it would just, it just started getting this long list. There was no way to, to search it unless, you know, your web browser allowed to do search. Uh, but, you know, you couldn't query a database back end because there, there was, there was none then. I had to just do what it was. And I, I just simply put the files up there and people could download them. But the list started getting so long. I'm like, this is unmanageable. And then CDML came along and like, Claris dynamic markup language. See, I know that one, Michael. I know I didn't know what TCP/IP was, but I know what that one is. I even knew what that one was, John. Oh darn. Okay. Um, so it comes from Blue World, which was promoting a product or selling a product, a third-party product to web-enable your solutions called LDML, um, which is essentially Lasso, if I remember correctly. And uh, I was going to ask, is that the same as Lasso? And obviously it is. Yes. And I believe it stands for Lasso Dynamic Markup Language, but I don't know what the L really stands for. It's, I think it's probably been lost because that was so long ago, but maybe somebody will remember and put it in the comments. But Claris purchased... What was the name of the guy who created? Bill Dorfeld? Bill Dorfeld, yeah. Okay. From Blue World. Yeah, he was the president of Blue World. Uh, an, an interesting topic that we won't get into. But so Claris bought... LDML and changed it into CDML and they made some improvements in their opinion and you know it's debatable simplified it renamed some of the stuff so it was more but they basically bought that technology and what it does allows you to put in basically commands inside of your HTML that will query a FileMaker database and so that's all client side in other words all that has to happen is when you hit that web page is that it loads in all that stuff and tries to do as much as it can from that client's machine. In other words, it does have to query the database, but it doesn't have to render anything. All the rendering's done on, you know, on the, the client's machine. So there's a big difference between WebDirect or Instant Web Publishing and CDML or any of the modern languages that you use these days. They're all client side. So it's it's a pretty interesting thing. So I, I, I took this and I programmed the Database Pros 2.0 website with this. And I love CDML. It was so, so easy. And I still, uh, a little sadness that it went away eventually because uh, I, 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 I avoided learning PHP, which is the next thing you had to do. Um, and I, I, you know, like anything, you know, you go and they change things on you and it's a rough transition. And, but, you know, I still have fond memories of CDML and I still have my web pages that were written in CDML. Uh, it was just so focused on what FileMaker could do that it made it so easy and I loved it. And, and so this came out in 5.0 and changed how people looked at FileMaker and how they designed solutions because now they had another option. They could go instant web publishing or custom web publishing to the web so they could have people who are local in their office but also have people hit some of the information on the web. And it was It's pretty cool stuff. I guess you're not going to say anything at all? No, no, I, keep on going. Okay, no, I'm done. I'm just going to move on. So, so FileMaker Pro 5.5, another one of those partial upgrades. And... There are some new features in there, um, but we're going to basically skip over it because it was basically support for new operating systems. I think they felt like they needed to bring out a version that supported the new operating system so they could continue sales. And I get it. Sometimes that happens. So we'll move on to FileMaker Pro 6.0. We just want to mention 5.5 so you knew part of the history. In fact, there's a version in there called FileMaker Unlimited. 
And if anybody ever remembers what it's about, I mean, I know I, I saw it as I was doing recent. Oh yeah. I remember that unlimited. And uh, it's just funny how all these versions have been there and, and naming things and they've gone from pro to developer to advanced to no pro. And uh, the, the names are, are kind of interesting. They've, they're finally back to the pro, I think, at this point. So what did 6.0 introduce? Well, in the developer version, right, it's not called advanced yet. It's called developer. There's pro and developer. They introduced the script debugger, which if you're a programmer, this is you need to have this feature. It allows you to slow down the script, run it a step-by-step, so you can see what's happening. And every time you click to the next step, the FileMaker screen will change accordingly to whatever you did. Uh, I, in fact, I even use it in my teaching videos uh, to slow down a script so but somebody can really see what's going on with that script. Rather than trying to have to hold it all in your mind, you can slow it down and see, okay, that's what it did. Okay, now it really makes sense to me. So I use the script debugger in many ways, not just to debug scripts, where there's a problem, but just to help me learn or help somebody else learn. Yeah, it's great. That's my comment on the script debugger. It's great. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I don't think many people would list this next feature in 6.0 as earth-shattering, but in my opinion, completely earth-shattering. Before 6.0, you could auto-enter a calculation, but that little checkbox that says, do not replace existing of value of field, if any, that I almost always uncheck was introduced. Now, you're wondering, if you've ever wondered why it's always checked, because it seems like, well, i got to go uncheck it, right? Why don't they default it? Well, because previous to that, it always did what the checked option was, so they left it the same as it was. And I think it's just going to continue to be that same, although I would, I would, I would request that they uncheck it because I think that's what most people want. They want that value to be replaced every time that calculation gets triggered. So if you keep it checked, like the old way, the 5.0 way and previous, then the field has to be empty. The target field that you're auto entering in has to be empty for it to auto enter in there. That's why unchecking is so powerful because it makes it almost like a calculation field. And what the big difference, and there's a lot of differences between how an auto enter calculation works versus a live calculation field when you've created directly a managed database without auto enter calculation. But one of the main differences is that when you auto enter a calculation, it will be stored even if it's the calculations based on a global field or a summary field or anything like that. So it's a great way to make something stored when otherwise it wouldn't be stored. And so it's extremely powerful. Not only that, just replacing the values in the field. You know, if you want it to be a calculation that updates, you have to uncheck that box. And so it just changed and opened up. And I can't tell you how much I use that feature because it's it literally in every solution in any field that I'm going to do an auto enter calculation, 99.9% of the time I'm going to uncheck that box because that's the functionality I want. Absolutely. And now here's a, a very common scenario, and this is something that, that I have fallen into the trap and have seen many people fall into this trap, is that you want to duplicate a record. Well, if you don't uncheck that, the new record will have the same primary key as the original record, which will establish relationships to all existing records from the original one. So if, 
effectively you can end up with an absolute mess if you end up with duplicate primary keys so it's really important to uncheck it for that but you really there are I can't think of any situation where I would want it not to replace the existing value John so you're right it should be by default off yeah the only one situation I can think of is let's say you got a, a billing and a shipping and you want the shipping to automatically be auto entered based on what the billing is well, you don't want it to continue to be updated every time you change the billing information. Otherwise, it's going to, you know, because you, you have it auto enter over to the shipping and it's the same as billing. And then you can overwrite it if you want, or you can keep it the same if they're the same. So that's the only kind of common example I can think of where you might want to keep it checked because, you know, you just you don't want to go back and change their billing address and have it update their shipping if it hasn't changed. Yeah, it's a good point. All right, that's really good. Now let's move on to FileMaker Pro 7, which turned our lives completely and utterly upside down for six months. Yeah, or longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I distinctly remember when 7.0 came out, I had a client. I was living up in the mountains in Cedar Pines Park, the LA mountains, um, or I should say San Bernardino Mountains. And I had this client who was a, a big giant company. I won't say who they are. And they had this 6.0 and earlier version of it. And they wanted me to convert their solution to FileMaker Pro 7.0. Specifically, they were having trouble with the reports and they were really, really slow. And this is because they didn't do subsurface reports. They did calculations through relationships, blah, blah, blah. It's a long story. But I remember opening up the solution, converting it to 7.0. And seeing this giant spider web of a relationship graph. And I'm like, I what do I do? <laughs> that you like it's like it's so massive. I mean, I can start over here and start doing this, but it's gonna take me months and months. I, I told the client, you're better off reprogramming this from scratch. Trying to do surgery on a file like that's crazy. I don't do you have any nightmares from when seven point got introduced? Well, I mean there were so many different things that that threw us for a loop. Understanding context, which is probably the single most important thing in FileMaker, was it was incomprehensible. It was like, you know, I've just given you a spaceship that will take you to the moon. Get in and fly it, and you go, well, I can't even drive a car, and now you want me to fly to the moon? It was horrendous, and I know that. I struggled with it for at least six months, and I think there are still times when you you look at something and you go, "Wow, well, I'm having trouble with this. I don't know why it is." And you you know you have a brain fart or whatever it is, but it was really important. But I will say that I think FileMaker released 7.0 too early. Um, I don't think 7.0 was a good release. I think FileMaker 8 and 8.5 was a good release but 7 was just i don't think it was ready for prime time i think they rushed it rushed it out but that's my opinion what do you think well i don't have an opinion about that i i was just uh, the whole 7.0 thing is a blur to me because i i just it took so long to get used to it compared to what it was before but let's talk about something you said about context a little bit and why context was there in 7.0 but not in 6.0 and the basic reason is because in 6.0, one file equaled one table. So if you're in that file, you basically had one context, one table's context. Because FileMaker 7.0 introduced 
multiple tables per file, you now had context because each layout could be based on a different table occurrence. And so the context, the perspective, there's very various names for them to mean various different things about, but most people just say context. But uh, we've talked a little bit about perspective in this podcast prior to this. But, uh, you know, context is, is an extremely important uh, to understand because it's so important if you want to design a solution with a single file and multiple tables. You can't get away with it. And I think that's part of what, what made us so... Uh, you know, made our brains explode when 7.0 came out because this context thing is easy once you get it, but trying to understand it from a 6.0 frame of mind is is literally, um, you know, almost impossible. It's like you have to have to change the way you think, and it took me a long way to change the way I think. And now I can't. Now I look and back at 6.0 and see how silly it was because uh, 7.0 is so m- much more powerful because of allowing you to have multiple tables per file. It's at the expense of having to understand context, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's more powerful. So let me just explain context for our listeners who don't understand the term, and it's a really simple thing. In FileMaker 7.0 and later, you have table occurrences, which are different versions of a table. And those table occurrences are the starting point, and then you have tables that are related two or table occurrences are related to that starting point and the simple fundamental way of explaining this if you don't know where you're starting how do you know where to go to and if you think about that you know you're in los angeles and you know you want to get to san diego you get on the freeway you go south but if you're dropped in the middle of the sahara desert and you're told to get to cairo you've got no reference point, you've got no way of knowing where you're starting, so you've got no possibility of getting to where you want to go to, and that's context. So here's the most basic, specific example. That's more of an overall kind of, okay, here's how an analogy of what it is. When you're looking at context, and it, it covers a whole bunch of different areas, but the most common is whatever layout you're on is the starting point. You look up there and you see the showing records from customers or showing records from invoices that's your starting point of what you're talking about the layout and the end point is what related field or what portal you put on there that's going to be the end point and so that's what uh, michael's talking about is you got to know how to get from point a to point b and if you want to understand how to do it in filemaker the most common situation for context is what layout you're on and then what related field or portal you're putting on there correct now there are other places for context. We're not going to do a whole show on context here. There's context inside of managed database. There's context inside of value lists. Um, you know, you have to specify the starting and ending points. There's context inside of scripts. It's all over the place. But just if you're new to the term, that should suffice. You know, Michael's analogy and 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 my description of the layout versus the related fields and portals should give you enough to really start thinking about it. And so let's move on, right? Let's talk about the specific features in FileMaker Pro 7.0 that we haven't really covered. So we did cover multiple tables per file, which you didn't have earlier. That means you can make a single solution with multiple tables, and that's my preferred way to do it. I don't want to make another file. It just makes you know security and scripting and everything so much more difficult. You're better off designing a solution with a single file. 
So that that changed the way we did things. It, it, it made it made programming, in my opinion, a, a relational system neat and clean compared to the way it was before. Because if you look back at a 6.0 solution, sometimes they'll have like 50 different files. And so you're constantly switching files to do something to get your context right. Because there, there certainly was context back then, but it was easy to understand because you were in that file. And, and it just, it, it would drive me crazy if I had to program FileMaker 6.0. Luckily, it doesn't work on any modern operating systems, so we don't have to. But um, I think one of the things that people don't think about on 7.0, although it's kind of a given in what we're talking about, is you can have multiple windows per file. You didn't have that before. You can open up two windows of the same file, have them looking at the same layout with different found sets, or you can look at different layouts. Uh, you know, you can change anything and it doesn't change what's in the other window. So you can put things side by side and compare them or put two windows up and, and put a report. It's, it's amazingly powerful. I don't know if you have anything to comment about that, how you use that, Michael. Well, I use it in many different ways, John, but it is amazingly powerful. And, you know, there are times, an example of where that might use it is you're in a table view or a form view and you want to open a new window but still look at the same found set and then be able to do different things with that found set without losing where you where you were originally or being in the list view and now you want to do a different find but you want still want to retain the found set that you're working from yeah awesome example and so that's you know that's really powerful and you know sometimes i use it when i have a a script that's running to process a set of new records and send out notifications and at the end of it I want to go back to that found set and just know that I've double checked and it's all done so there's a lot of reasons to use it uh, but I like the fact that you can create a new window and then switch to a to a different layout based on that same table occurrence and still have the same records but looking at them in a different way yeah it, it's it's one of those things you never want to do when you're developing a solution which is change the found set when the user isn't expecting it so like you said i might need to process some records and change the found set open up a new window do your thing close it and they're still looking at the same thing right freeze the window whatever you have Correct. to do pull it off the screen or or whatever but it, even in nautilus if you didn't have the ability to create multiple windows per file, you'd be in big trouble because you use card windows all over the place, right? Absolutely. So Nautilus wouldn't even be possible without FileMaker Pro 7.0. And so it's an, it's an amazing feature. I, don't, I think people often take for granted, and it, it helps you do so many different things that uh, you've got to give it props uh, for them having thought about that. I mean, they didn't... I, I don't think they may have completely realized when they put that feature in. I think they had it in there, well, we don't have multiple files now. We have to have some way for looking at two layouts at once. But the things you can do with it, the way that developers have used it over the years, it, it, so many different types of solutions wouldn't have been possible without multiple windows per file. Well, I think that also brings this round to an interesting point. And Claris, as it is now known, as it used to be and is now again, um, has done an amazing job of developing FileMaker and improving it. But ultimately, they're not using it as 
in the way that you and I and all the other developers are using it. So we are constantly finding ways to do things and you'll show it to somebody at Claris and they'll go, holy, we never thought you could do that with it because they're not using it. Or they never imagined that. Yeah. So I, I was just emphasizing what you were saying. It's, a, it's, yeah, it's so true. You know, and there's also unexpected behaviors. So we talked last in our last podcast with Darren Terry, and I said, well, why does this unindexed valueless work? And he goes, it doesn't. And I said, but here it does. And he looked at it and he went, yeah, I don't understand why. Why does that work? It shouldn't work, but it does. And so we find things that, that sort of baffle us and unexpected behaviors that uh, we just learn to accept and, and we chortle when we find them. And I think that you brought up something I want to kind of expand on a little bit. I think it's a really important point about how FileMaker designs the solutions. Rather than doing it the Microsoft way, which is putting a menu item for everything you want to do, they give you different features that can be combined together. And more than I think than any other product out there, and I use Access to bash on them because, you know, Access is just horrible. not a good product. Horrible. Horrible, yeah. Absolutely uh, awful. I, mean, it, it, I remember somebody putting a comment the other day on one of my articles. I just saw it recently. It was about a year and a half ago. And I was doing a phone filtering solution. And the guy said, He's all, oh, this is why Access is so much better. Look what you have to do to do a phone filter in FileMaker. I'm like, well, once you get it done, you don't have to do anything else or you can copy from somebody else. But the fact that Microsoft just builds in what they think you want to do and you just have to click a checkbox, great, that works. But what if you want to do something slightly different? FileMaker is way better because they take and combine the calculation engine with the scripting and it they're just it's just so well thought out and in in how you can combine features it's 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 an amazing program i can't talk enough about filemaker i've been using it for 30 years and i still think it's amazing well i i do and you know people people always say to me well access is really good and i go yeah if you only want to work in a winner's environment and you only want to do this and you have to know visual basic and 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 basically microsoft lost interest in it and they're about to discontinue it so well in fact uh, there were rumors uh, years and years and years ago uh 20 30 years ago that microsoft tried to buy filemaker a couple of times <laughs> thank god they didn't yeah i don't know it wouldn't be the product of this today because microsoft really has never invented anything well, let's not get on a bash session. I could bash on Google's never invented anything, and but people buy all their stuff, so would go figure, right? <laughs> but anyhow, so last thing I want to mention about FileMaker Pro 7.0, and there are a ton of features in there um, that I could have covered, but I think this one is one of those top ones that it, it's not just that it was cool and, and necessary, but it's got so much, it, it's so unlimited. I'm, I'm not even sure I've got the right word. It, it opens up so many doors for you. Um, you know, multiple tables per file. Yeah, that opened up so many doors that multiple windows per file. Um, you know, those things open up so many things. And I think that people might disagree with me on this one a little bit. But when they changed to account-based security inside of FileMaker 7.0, it was earth-shattering. I don't know if anybody remembers what the 6.0 and earlier access privileges look like, but it was this three, I think three columns 
with these black and gray and uh, empty dots that you could click and match them up. And it, it was so confusing. This is so poorly done. I mean, it sufficed for FileMaker Pro 2.0 or whatever it came in for basic security. But when they put in account-based security and got rid of that col columnar security interface and it, it just opened up doors and security has gone to different levels in FileMaker. I mean, FileMaker is a very secure application uh, if you use security correctly and can really block people from doing certain things. So, I mean, this is a major change. Um, it made FileMaker world-class. You have to have world-class security, especially in this day and age. Everybody's worried about the security. So this, to me, made a big, big difference in the FileMaker world. Oh, it definitely made a big difference. But it is still, or it is very, very complicated. And you've got to spend a lot of time working with it to really understand it. And so it's not easy. Um, and it, because it's so complicated, I think a lot of people don't take the time to really delve into it, and see, you know, understand how it works across the board. But it is enormously powerful. Yeah, it's one of those things that you can get down to a very granular level. But if you don't need that, ignore it, and that does simplify it. But you kind of have to know what to ignore in order to simplify it in your mind. Um, so if you're going down to the field le field level and saying, "Hey, can the person go in, you know, to this?" or if you're going down to the table level and saying, "Hey, I want this table to be able to add records, but not this table," if you can just say, "People just add and no delete," you know, add, edit, um, and view. And that not to lead if, if, if your solution falls into a, you know, a, where, you know, people don't have to have that kind of granularity, then it can be kind of simple. So I, in some ways, I, I agree with you totally that it's complex and, and, but if you, if you just avoid that granularity when you don't need it, it actually becomes pretty easy to work with. Yeah, I would agree with that. Totally. Um, I think it's a good subject for a video course, John. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. You've got nothing better to do with your life. Yeah, I know. Well, I always worry when I do a, a video on security that, that uh, Stephen Blackwell's going to gonna review it or something and, and call me up and say, you know, okay, you guys on the left-handed coast, we need to teach you a little. That's my best Stephen Blackwell, Tennessee <laughs> accent. We're going to have to teach you a little bit about security. Right, but at least then you'd be having the guy who knows more about security than anybody telling you what's wrong. Yeah, but then I have to redo the video, so. <laughs> well, you know, do him step by step and send him to Stephen and say, would you please review this before I go on? Yeah, then he'll send <laughs> me a bill too, so. <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, so you, so those three things in 7.0, I'm sure there's many others that people are going to, I almost thought about putting script parameters on here um, because they were kind of the precursor to variables, but, um, you know, people don't use script parameters. But these three things I thought, you know, in an effort to not have a six hour long uh, podcast, uh, we had to limit what we covered here. So please in the comments, put your favorite 7.0 features. Let's go on to 8.0. And I just mentioned one of them. Variables were introduced in 8.0. Oh my God. That's all I got to say about variables. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're not using them, right. Then you're not using FileMaker properly, or at least the scripting engine. Amazing stuff. Global and local variables now what's the difference between a global and a local variable michael oh you want me to you you try to put me on the spot here john okay a, 
Uh, if you don't know this, then you should be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so a local variable only lasts for the duration of the script that it's being called in. So if you set a, a value into a local variable and you go to another script, that variable is lost. When you come back to the original script, it's still there, but it's lost if you go to another script. Whereas a global variable not only transfers between script and script, but it stays in memory for the entire duration of the session that you're working in. So if you set a global view variable when you open the program, it's there until you close it down. And you can check it out in the in the data viewer uh, in the first tab. I forget what it's called off the top of my head and see what the value is in a global variable. But you will only see those local variables in there while the script is running. Because like Michael said, as soon as the script is done running, it clears that local variable. Global variables stay there until you close the file. So which do you use more? Well, I use both. But I think that a lot of people forget that, that if they're using calling another script during a script, they've got to have set the variables as global variables in the first place and they will run a script and they wonder why it isn't working and then they go back oh yeah i need to set this as a global variable because i want to pass it. or you could do it my way yeah you could do it my way which is pass a script parameter of that variable and then it's a script parameter in the second script that's my preferred method and the reason why for me is i don't like cluttering up the data viewer with all these global variables. But um, so, so which, so I was trying to want to make sure I emphasize a point. If you had to guess which one you use more often, global or local variables, which is it? I would say it's about even. Interesting, because for me and my development, every developer is different, but I have a, a big issue with putting too much stuff in the data viewer because then you can't, it gets unusable. I use local variable. Yeah, but I don't look at the data viewer, John. I only look at the watch column. I don't watch, I mean, there's two tabs in the data view, and I can't remember what they're called, but one is where it shows you all the fields and variables that you're actually working with. But I just go into the other section where I add the ones I want to look at. So I'm only looking at a few. So to me, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the great thing about the first one, the watch is the one where you can program in your own, or you're talking about, let's let's open it up. And we've got FileMaker here. We can get the name of it real quick. Um, there it is. So we've got the current and the watch. So you're in the watch one, which allows you to program in your, your formulas, which is unbelievable. I mean, that's where I start most of my formulas, whether they're going to end up in a script or wherever they're going to end up. I start them there because I can test them much more easily without running a script or, you know, clicking into manage database and out. But the other one's called current, and I always forget the name. This is the one that I don't use quite as much, and it sounds like you use it never, but it's great for the script debugger because you can see all the fields that are in the script and what values they have in them. And so I don't have to put that field on a layout or go to the watch and add it there. I can see what's in there and check what's going on. I can also see my local variables there too. And so what happens for me is if I have global variables in there, a ton of them, then all of a sudden you've got this long scrollable list and you have to look and see what's really 
working with your current script, what's 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 actually relevant to it. Um, and so that's my issue. But, you know, th that's what this is all about. Everybody programs differently. So we don't all do it the same way. And no way is certainly more valid than another, except when I'm talking, of course. But well, I, I would say that I when I'm using the data, <laughs> that viewer, was a joke, by the I, way, I know. And uh, I'm just ignoring <laughs> it. But I would say that when I'm using the data viewer, which I do a lot in conjunction with script viewer, uh, I'm always on the watch. I'm, I go on, the comment opens and I click on watch and go to watch. And yeah, I've got to type fields and variables and add that stuff. But for me, it's very focused. Um, I'm seeing what I'm looking at. And as I'm running a script on debugger and I see a variable or a value that I want to see what the, what it's giving, I just add it to the data viewer there and then and just work through it. But it, it's all about personal preference. It's about the the way that makes most sense to the individual developer. So we're all different. Yeah, there's a little bit of uh, habitual, uh, you know, ways of doing things um, that occasionally get changed. And and I think I'm going to work on you on that one. I'm going to get you to click on that other tab in the data viewer. Good luck with that. I know, right? You're, you're, don't teach an old dog new tricks, right? <laughs> no, I can learn new tricks, and I am a very old dog, but uh, but I, I like the way I work with the data viewer. So. so, by the way, the data viewer was introduced in FileMaker Pro 8.0. Pretty cool tool. We've talked about a lot about it, so we don't have to mention it again, but it basically it, it works in conjunction with the script debugger, allows you to... Uh, create calculations more efficiently and then move them. The only thing I don't like about the data viewer and creating calculations in there is that the the local table is going to be copied along. So it's going to say, you know, whatever the local table name is, colon, colon, blah, blah, blah. When you put it into a calculation field inside a managed database, not not script maker, that it needs that 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 table occurrence in there. But when you go into managed database, you have to remove those. And, and there's not really much they can do, but that's my only downside to doing my calculations in the data viewers that if you have a lot of them, so make sure you use the let function so you don't have to go to every version of it and remove that table occurrence. Uh, the let function will allow you to, to do a much better job of that. Now, the other thing that came in FileMaker 8.0 was the tab control object. I use it in absolutely every single solution. So easy to use so much better and in this we need to give it perspective here before then we all had to make a whole bunch of layouts a whole bunch of buttons a whole bunch of scripts and so when you clicked on a tab in filemaker 7 or earlier it literally had to switch to a different layout and it's so much easier to do uh, tab controls now and this changed the way i developed filemaker i don't know about you definitely um but actually i'm just looking at our list and I don't see this because you must have missed it, John. But when did slide panels come in? I don't know, but they weren't as earth-shattering for me. You see, to me, slide panels is m much more earth-shattering than tab controls, and I rarely ever use tab panels anymore. I like the sli sliding panels. And, you know, we've discussed this and the benefits of it, and I was able to give you a, a really useful use for them um, that you hadn't considered before. But it was possible to, and the reason that tab controls were so useful is not only was, did it save us having multiple layouts, but it meant that you could put information on a tab and just display information that the user needed to focus on rather than seeing everything all on one big, big screen and perhaps getting confused. 
So it was a, a very good way of focusing. Right, big giant field of. Say again, John. Oh, I was going to say just a big giant uh, field of fields, and I, I realized yeah, when I said it yeah, that exactly. it was. But yeah, but it, it helped us to organize and and put more in a smaller area. It's absolutely what it does. It's Correct. a simple job, but it's it's kind of like having a hammer. I mean, nothing else works as great as a hammer, right? Or a screwdriver, or whatever you have. You know, tools have specific uses, and and tab control is great. And it's and it's and it's ugly cousin, as I'm going to call it, the slide panel, um, which I'm going to tell you why I call it the ugly cousin, is essentially the same thing, right? It does exactly the same thing, right? I mean, yep. differently, but it's essentially the same main purpose. It's kind of like a, almost like comparing a, a flathead uh, screwdriver to a Phillips screwdriver, right? They're kind of the same concept. They're just different. And so a slide panel was introduced for iOS devices. Of course, we use them on desktop solutions all the time. The thing that's different about a, a slide panel and a tab control is that you don't have any tabs at the top. You have these little tiny little dots at the bottom, navigation knots. And they're great. They work fine. You can click on them and do it. What you don't have is that display of what that tab is all about. So to get that, you have to put some type of scripted buttons or button bar at the top to use go to object to change that slide control so that you kind of know where you're at. You know, it, it's obvious by what's in the slide panel, of course, the pane, but it's also helps to have that indication. That's why I like tab controls better than slide panels. Yes, but, you know, as we discussed, you can't do anything with a sliding a tab panel that you don't want somebody to see. It's still going to be there. You can hide the content if you like, but that's a lot of work. Whereas with a, a sliding panel, if, you, if you're not showing the navigation dots and you don't want that panel to be available to, say, somebody who's an administrator, you can control it by the button bar and, and hide, that, hide access to that panel by hiding the button. And so for the little bit of extra overhead by having to have buttons to navigate to the object, I think it's an incredibly good trade-off. I absolutely agree that there are certain things that a button bar combined with the slide panel can do that a tab control can't. You can go into a button bar and set hide objects on the individual button segments there. And that's what you told me about a couple of uh, podcasts ago. And it fit in perfectly timing because I programmed it in one of my solutions for a client. Uh, they had a contact manager where there are different types of contacts and not all contacts needed to see each tab. And so when they flipped through the contacts, what I was doing with tab controls is making the, the best I could do, which is making the tab controls uh, result in a calculation of quote, quote. They wouldn't disappear. They'd still be there. And then I'd have to go into the into the area and use hide object into the pane and tell it to hide when we we're on a certain. And it was just a really, um, the interface was terrible. And and you told me about using the button bars, which I was against. And and you taught this old dog a new trick. And, and I finally was so amazed with the technique that I wrote an article about it and it's kind of come out in a couple of weeks. And of course I give you credit as telling me about it, but a couple of people, in fact, a couple of people have told me about it since we record that podcast where we've talked about this before, how it was, I, I learned something new. And, and so some one, one person I didn't let you know about, but wrote me and said, Hey, here's an example file, of how this works. I'm like, yes, I know. I got it. <laughs> I already, I know Duncan, D Duncan Baker and his example file is fantastic. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No, no, there's nothing wrong with it. But I'm going to have one exception to what you said. It's not a little bit of overhead to program, connect a button bar to a slide uh, control panel. And here's the point. So is that first of all, you have to script the whole thing. Okay, the scripts are not that hard, but you have to do them. But what really makes it difficult for me is if you don't have the navigation dots showing, which I don't want to have showing, going into layout mode, you can't switch between the different uh, you know, areas of the slide control. And so you have to show those navigation dots, which really are for iOS devices to show you where you're at. It's it's for hand gestures. And that's what they're really designed for. And, and I'm not saying they're not really great for... Uh, desktop solutions, but I think the amount of work when you read the article that you have to do to get a button bar connected to the slide control panel versus literally no work. So in other words, if you don't need to hide some of your panels or make the panel disappear completely, then I would use a tab control. And that's just kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, it's a fair point. Um, I still, I'm willing to do the extra work to, to do that because I think that the end result is more elegant than the tab panels. I just don't like the look of tab panels particularly. But I've used them and I still use them to this day. But, um, for example, in Nautilus, I mean, you've got one screen and you've got a sliding panel with 10, 12, 15 panels. And I've got the go to object is simple, a single script step, go to object, get the name of the script parameter. So the button has runs that script and it's the parameter which is the name of the panel it's really simple no no doubt with with nautilus and the one layout system you wouldn't be able to do with tab controls so no doubt there are definitely solutions out there i'm just pointing out that i think that anytime you use slide controls you're going to do extra work and if you don't need to do extra work don't do it but you might get caught with your pants down too you might find out halfway through a project you have to do something like that so uh, you know it's it's half dozen one half dozen another it's hard to say which is the best to do so right and of course the other um, the other thing that one can use very effectively and we'll come into that in a little while because it didn't come out till 16 is card windows I, 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 I didn't know you liked Cardwin. I love Cardwin. <laughs> I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, so let's move on. We've, we've talked that to death 8.0, but some cool features, variables, data viewer, tab control. Again, let us know in the comments if there's a feature that changed your life. 8.5, another one of those partial upgrades. I remember this because I was working as uh, for Advisor Magazine, not full-time, but as a, as a writer and a content editor and things like that. And they had me write an article on get nth record. And I didn't put get nth record on here because I don't think it changes our lives as much as the other feature that came out in 8.5, which was the web viewer, especially when you consider FileMaker 19 and what they're talking about doing with JavaScript add-ons, yeah. which are going to use yeah. the web viewer. The web viewer is just a game changer uh, for uh, not so much in, in the past, in my opinion, but now with 19 and the JavaScript uh, being incorporated into it, man, the web viewer is going to be seen as, a, as a, a fantastic idea. And it came out in 8.5. Well, just as a, a teaser, John, um, I'm actually using in the solution I'm developing right now, I'm using a web viewer with some JavaScript in it that is just absolutely stunning for the application that I'm building. Yeah, the stuff that people are going to be able to do with the JavaScript stuff, and we're kind of skipping ahead to 19, but but without without the web viewer coming out in 8.5, the stuff that we're 
doing now or that's coming out and that FileMaker is actually publicly announced with JavaScript add-ons, you know, just dragging a calendar that's JavaScript based and allowing you to drag and drop your events and having it change the data in a FileMaker table, that whole integration between Java, the web viewer and FileMaker's data, unbelievable. You can do some amazing things. It's going to change how FileMaker programmers work with the product. Yep, for sure. Even an old dog like me is learning new tricks. I know. Look at that. It's only the tricks that you want to learn, right? Well, yeah. If I'm not interested in it, why would I not be interested in it? Was that the Top Gun theme uh, on, on your phone there? Um, yeah, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> this concludes part one of these are a few of our favorite things. In part two, we're going to carry on with version 9.0 and take us all the way out to the current date. See you next time. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.